We're doing the very beginning thing. Welcome back, kids. It's episode <laughs> nine, episode <laughs> Nuevo, as it were, of Lost on the River. Yeah. Recorded here at Herzog Music. I'm Aaron Sharp. I'm joined by Bill Furby. That's, uh, that's me. Leisring, yeah. Producer Yo. Matt Spaulding. And I uh, got another great, fun night of uh, music and conversation. <laughs> yeah. Aren't you excited? I am. I can see you're glowing. You're glowing, uh, Bill hey, Furby. Now, now. His ears are all red. You're positively glowing. We, we've got, uh, th- this is, uh, as I mentioned b- before, my younger brother Matt uh, listens with his family, my, my nieces and nephews. Now, I was told over Easter week, by the way. They gather around the By the way, I'm very cool because I have a podcast. Yes. Right? Well, podcasts are we all, all the rage. We all knew that, uh, and yeah. uh, and they've decided that uh, devoted listeners, such as themselves, shall be called "Lost on the River Rats." Ooh, oh. I like that. That's pretty good. That's nice. Pretty good. All right, we can go with that. River. So. We need a name for all of our groupies. There you go. Yeah. The Grateful Dead's got dead heads. Yeah. We've got we the got, river rats. We got the, <laughs> the river rats. <laughs> <laughs> so. Uh, gra- <laughs> <laughs> Super excited, as always. Got a great show once again lined up for us this evening. We've got our good friend Jay Dorsey. He's going to come in and uh, play some blues for us and talk about a couple of upcoming oh. projects he has on the way. Oh, okay. We've got uh, DJ DQ uh, coming up oh. in this episode. And you may remember his... Uh, Elias, why don't you elaborate on, on what he's going to be doing for us? We're going to have a chat with him about a new record that he's um, put out on Herzog. But it's actually... Something that he made 15 years ago, so it's a re-release. Where the Sidewalk Begins, which yeah. has been kind of an underground hit cult. Underground hit, cult classic. not the right word. Yeah, it's an underground cult classic. 28 minutes of the best music ever. So we're looking forward to talking about that. And uh, But first and foremost, our history moment. I oh, know. I can handle that. You Can, can you do that? I, I'll I'm going to toss it right to you. Well, uh, our last episode, devoted uh, listeners will, will recall... Uh, Ms. Anzora Adkins and Kent Butts. They're called River Rats now. As devoted River Rats are, are very, very much aware, our last episode had uh, uh, Kent Butts and Miss Anzora Adkins, very key figures in the uh, King Records preservation uh, issue. And, uh, of course, uh, wonderful guests. We, we all got along wonderfully with them, and, and we're going to have them back very soon, hopefully. And So I thought for this episode, uh, I'd, I'd get into a little bit of the background of Otis Williams. Now, Otis is the father of Kent, uh, our, last week's guest, and uh, tying this in with, with particular relevancy right now, just not just the King Records stuff, but uh, we actually had a, a little party here for opening day, uh, for the opening day parade uh, the other day, and uh, uh, Otis and Kent came by to pay us a visit. Uh, they brought some uh, King Records uh, jerseys. Uh, Otis signed them for us, so we're going to have uh, put on display here permanently. I want a King Records our, jersey, like a Reds family. jersey. Yeah, it's it is very very cool. Signed. It was. I mean, it, it was, can I have one? No, no, oh. you can't. No, they're getting framed. So a little bit of background on Otis uh, uh, Otis Williams and the Charms fifties uh, doo-wop group. Uh, Otis uh, is a Withrow grad. In 1954, uh, the Charms cut a song called Heart of Stone for uh, King subsidiary uh, Deluxe, which uh, that track spent nine weeks at the number one R&B chart and sold over a million copies. That's that's pretty cool. But in addition to that, uh, Otis co-produced and arranged the original uh, Twist for Hank Ballard. Mm -hmm. He arranged the original Fever for Little Willie John. In 71, he cut a country album on a bet that he couldn't do it. 
and he knocked it out of the park. Uh, musicians on that included Elvis Presley's guitarist Scotty Moore. So not, uh-huh. yeah, right. But this is this is this is great. The the timing on this is is fantastic because we just learned what today, right? Which yeah. well, the day that this is recorded, that the city, yes, reached a deal with yes. the owner of the property of King Records in Evanston. Yes, this is a story ripped from the headlines. That's that's right, ripped from the headlines, as they say, and uh, they're going to be able to to preserve the King Records building now, and we can move forward. Long time coming. It's been yeah. a long time coming. What was it? Twenty fifteen. That the uh, Ed, Ed Vardaman filed for the historical marker? Uh, uh, Is it earlier the, than that? The, 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 the Nonprofit Music Heritage Foundation yes. filed, filed for the, the, the marker uh, and, and had that uh, installed into place. And ever since, and, uh, there's been this, this, been this fight, maybe isn't the right word, but this, this, this attempt to uh, claim the property for the city so that we can preserve it. How about we could say uh, since then, uh, just the interest has, has only multiplied and uh, a lot of central figures stepping up to... And I have to think that uh, because of our last episode of Lost on the River, that was kind of basically the straw that broke the camel's back mm. and finally pushed this deal through. You think Lost on the River is what made it happen? I think I'm... I'm just going to go ahead and say that. Yeah, <laughs> okay, I think that, I think sure. that our interview with Kent Butts, yeah, sure. and Ms. Atkins, uh, was the uh, it pushed the, it the tilting maybe, point. Maybe it pushed it over the tipping point. So, so listen to this. The the, the country record that Otis did, uh, he, he was in Nashville, uh, had uh, met this producer named Pete Drake. The album uh, was uh, released in 1971, Otis Williams and the Midnight Cowboys. So Ooh. definitely, yeah, right? I like that. Uh, and then, uh, of, of course, and finally, and we touched on this uh, more than a couple weeks ago, uh, Lost on the River, uh, Otis was one of the uh, folks that Paul McCartney was thrilled to meet when he came through Cincinnati for his recent show. Kind of a big deal. At the arena, yeah. Uh, so anyway, I, I wanted to touch on that and share a little bit more about Otis. I, I am working with him to uh, to ensure that he is a guest on a future Lost on the River episode, hopefully very soon. I don't want to say anything until I'm confirmed on that. But I thought uh, we could uh, fade me out playing uh, the, uh, the Charms tune, Heart of Stone, 1954. Deluxe Records, nine weeks at number one, R&B. Otis Williams and the Charms, Lost on the River. Hearts made of stone Will never break it For the love you have for them They just won't take
<laughs> we'll just come right on down, why don't you? There you go. Skip the phone call. You got that big smile on your face today, huh? Boy, you knew it. You knew Man, it. that's a good day. We we have surprise guests. All of a sudden, we've been graced by the presence of Mr. Kent Butts, who we've just been talking about. Um, we were saying earlier how uh, the last podcast where we had you and Ms. Atkins on here uh, was more or less the the straw that broke the camel's back and made today's big vote happen. We're going to go ahead and just take credit for that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Write it down. I, you, know, you know I'm kidding because a lot of work went into this for a number of years and it had nothing to do with us. But it was so much fun to have you guys on, uh, you and Ms. Atkins, a couple of weeks ago, talking about your work to save King Records. And uh, you're back today because of uh, big news and big vote. And, and tell That's us all right. about it. Tell us what happened today. Well, it was um, quite a busy day. Um, actually, it took a little longer than normal because there was the mayor, city manager thing oh, that sure. was on the table that day. The drama. Today, mm-hmm. yeah. But uh, we got around to the situation, and um, once we got there, everybody was unanimous about the situation. Super and, happy. And the, and the situation is, for those who don't know... Give them a little background on this because there's the the, the owner of the property uh, that was the home of King Records uh, and the city have been in negotiations for for a number of years now. That's correct. And and the vote today was what exactly? The vote today was to actually do what's called a land swap, where the park district owns a piece of the land mm-hmm. that is going to be deeded over to the owner of the present owner of the King Records site. Through a year or so of back and forth, Mm -hmm. the owner of the property got to a stage to where it would be best for him now because he's trying to move his whole business. Okay. Mm -hmm. The whole, there's a bunch of land back there. King is just a small parcel Mm -hmm. that he owns, but it's right in the middle of all of his land. Gotcha. So we're trying to get the, we were trying to get the building because it's in bad repair right now. Mm -hmm. And we want it anyway, but we don't want it to fall down. So at this point, what has happened is he agreed to deed over the building if he can get this other property from the park. Because he's a businessman. I mean, he's That's not gonna, just going to give it to you, which, which you know, fair enough. So That's the right. city has stepped up and offered him something in return, and now everybody's walking away and a winner. And it seems like. so far. Everybody's yeah. uh, happy with this. You know, okay. he gets a pretty good piece of land that no one was using. And now the work, the real work can begin. Now uh, I need your money. Now we need your money. That's right. That's right. Cause That's now, why I came here. Because now it's a reality. It, is, it's, it looks to be a reality we, that, that we, we've gotten this, this victory, which is huge. But but there's still obviously a lot of work because now the building needs to be whole lot uh, needs yeah. a whole lot of repair and then from there we got to program the space and, right. and 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 finish it out and but this 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 is a big victory this is a fir- big first step uh, well the first step was a few years back when uh, Cincinnati Music Heritage Foundation. Uh, filed for their historic marker to get uh, that That's property correct. designated as, as as an historic landmark. Landmark, mm-hmm. and that was step one. And this this is this is step two, really. I suppose this is a big one. Yes, this is a durated, yeah, yeah, long yeah, 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 step. Not just but, one, <laughs> right? Yeah, but it's a major step because yeah. it's something tangible. Exactly. To put your hands exactly. on. Exactly. The same way as this Herzog situation. Mm-hmm. Once you got hold to the building, and now all this great 
performance and all the different things you guys have going on here, mm-hmm. it's the same principle. Yep. Obviously, because this was the first. Mm-hmm. This was before that situation. Mm-hmm. But now look at all the things that you guys do here. Kids. Right. You know, grownups come in and they're in shock. You know, mm-hmm. there's a lot going on here. That's and the great. Same, same thing has, has to happen with the King Records property. And, and how can how can our listeners help? The first thing is, is we need to educate. A lot of people care about a lot of the artists and, and what happened, but they don't know it actually happened right here. Mm-hmm. So our first thing is, is, which is now the ball's kind of back in our court, like you mm-hmm. said. Sure. We need to get out along with Herzog and places like this. Like I'm sending a lot of people here now. You know, I'm seeing what you, how you program the spot, what you're doing. This is a perfect precursor. If actually what you just said, I couldn't pick a better spot and a better situation. You've got prehistory right here that leads right into what we're trying to build. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the problem is, is I may say James Brown and they may think, well, didn't he have something to do with Cincinnati? But they don't understand all the things that came off of James Brown. I can get an eight year old hooked on King when I say James Brown, and tie him into Usher. Mm -hmm. Right now, I can do that with the snap of my finger. And most people would be like, well, how are you going to do that? I can bring him to Herzog. We can start there. This guitar lick is a country lick, but it goes with this funk record. That's what James Brown was playing. That was a country guitar lick. You start talking like that, then you run into another story. Before you know it, you're talking about Usher and Jay-Z. It's just that simple, but by you having something tangible right here, that's for me, because I'm only one man. And then you have people like my father, Otis Williams. He's 80-some-odd years old. You know, he can relate to kids to a certain point. But the beauty is, is when you have tangible things they can put their hands on. Like when I came here and saw a kids program, and there was 20, 25 kids here clapping sticks together. Something as simple as that. They're putting their hands on something. That's the beauty that I see. I'm all about the education. Mm-hmm. All about the education. And and to answer for your listeners, what you can do is come to places like Herzog. Put your hands on it. There's pictures here of people that are connected to King, people that weren't connected to King. Now you just tie all this together. You have to be able to read. You have to be able to write. You have to be able to count. It's all school, everything. But this way, when we took music out of schools, I don't know what, or who came up with that idea? But when you took music out of schools, that was the craziest thing ever. Mm-hmm. You took a major, that's like cutting one of your arms off. You take music out of schools and then you expect kids to now zero down and everybody's got to be a, a football player or a basketball player. There's so many ways in music, in life, love, sad, happy, everybody listens to some type of sound, or some type of harmony which ends up becoming some form of music. I might not like it. You might not like it. But it's music. And I, and I think our listeners understand the importance of, of that, the, the, the importance of the music, but not just the music, the heritage behind the music. I mean, look, I, I, I come from uh, 18 years at a public radio station that played music that was different and outside the mainstream and was educational and, and something special. And we only did it for, for as many years as we did because people supported it. There you go. And, uh, you know, if there's, not a lesson, if there's a lesson to be learned here, it's 
support the things that are important to you. Support support the music, and you can do that here at Herzog, and uh, you can do it with the, with the Space and King Records. Is uh, is there a? I mean, can we can we go ahead and make a donation now? Is there is there is there a website? Is there a place to go to uh, start supporting this project? What I'm going to do, and you're hearing here first. All right. That's why I come to <laughs> these type of places. I want to make sure that we get the right thing for you to donate to. Sure, absolutely. And the message is there for you to donate to the right thing. What I want to do at this particular time, I want to make sure that it means something. Mm -hmm. If you give me a penny or you give me your time, I want to make sure in the end, you know it's going to you good see work. exactly where it's going. Right. But don't think that I won't be back here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On one of these podcasts. Right. You see, I'm excited about it, too, so I'm ready. I'm like, I'm ready, ready to write a check. Yeah, <laughs> and that's a beautiful thing. I want to make, I'll go, sure, I get the right things. <laughs> well, we'll, yeah, we'll get the ducks in a row, and then, we, you know, we want to have you back here uh, and, you know, with regular updates of, of oh, where definitely. things stand with this. I think that'd be that'd be great for listeners and know how they can help out. So I'm I super excited. You. It's big big day in Cincinnati. Big day. Yeah. Huge day. Well, thank you, Kent Butts, for stopping in, dropping in, and surprising us and, uh, you know, you, and telling us about what happened today. You know, this uh, is awesome. Uh, Kent was on the last one. I said, anytime, come by anytime. Yeah, he came uh, back to the next time. The, the very next one. Here we go. <laughs> time for me to get back in the helicopter. Now. There you go. <laughs> Kent, always an honor and a pleasure. Thank you so much yes, for coming sir. by. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Thank I you, appreciate Ken. it, man. Thank you. And uh, actually, we're going to transition now into, uh, we have a, a guest here today, musical guest, Jay Dorsey. CEA Blues nominee Jay Dorsey. Uh, I was going to ask. <laughs> so, did you win CEA? Uh, is it CEA Blues artist? Is that no? It, no I did, not this year, but no. you've won it before. Yeah. 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 Okay. okay. All right. Gotcha. Okay. So, so I said CEA Blues artist. I'm making sure it's CEA Blues sure. winning award winner. Yeah. Now, is that like uh, like a former president? You always say President Obama. President yes. Bush. Got it. Got it. So. That makes sense. I'm wondering I'm who is competing with you in the blues category that would win. You know, I, I read that. <laughs> I'd be I, honest. I, I read off the winners this year, or, or you know, the, the oh, nominees. And I'm just kidding a little bit. <laughs> but you are really good with the slide and everything. I mean, thank you, thank you very much. That's really legit. And thank you've been, you. And you've been playing music around the, the region for how long? Oh, geez, probably. 56, 56 years? Almost 20 56. years. <laughs> Since like the late 90s, I guess. Time flies. You have a little yeah. bit of a youthfulness to you. How, how, where, where are you at? In, in, in other words, in other words you young. have hair. Where are you I'm at? I'm like the two of us here. dog years. I'm, I'm actually going to be 45 on Sunday. Wow. See, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Happy birthday. And, and Jay, I, I, you, you've been around long enough. I feel like I, I, it's, it's been so long that I don't know for sure. Have you always been... Uh, as steeped in the blues as you are now, has that always been your thing? Well, yeah, my you know my dad was a a blues man. Mm -hmm. He was a drummer, but he played in a lot of bands and had a lot of guitar slingers around me growing up, and so it was always a thing with me. But when I was a little younger, I played more in like you know. If you say punk, I'm getting up. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, a little. There it is. Rock there and roll. Well, I started I out in a punk rock band. You know, why do we even have these? Everybody already knows the answer. <laughs> you know, uh, yeah, a lot of my friends were into that. I was into, yeah, sure. a lot of more uh, weird stuff. But I always had, even then, I still played like, you know, Jeffrey Lee Pierce's version of Preaching the Blues or something like that in my band. I always, always had some kind of blues thing. But then when in my early 20s, I really started to like woodshed on the slide. I just, someone gave me a couple uh, Elmore James records, 
and I just sat in my room for about a year, learning slide, and then ever since then I just kind of stick with just, it. Yeah, it just seemed like that was going to be my next question: is is how long you been into the slide guitar? If that was, it's said, yeah, it's been a long time. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I've always I was intimidated by it for a long time. You know, like tuning your guitar sure. different and things like that. And geez, how do you? But every time I've ever gotten a slide and tried to play with it, I'm like, I'm going to get a slide and I'm going to do this. And then it's a total disaster. <laughs> now, like, those... I can't make any sound come out of it. It's not Well, easy. you can make some sound come out of it. Bad, just bad, just bad sound. good sounds. <laughs> no, I mean, it, not really, though. Not like the chimey. Well, now you got to raise your action a bit is an important thing. Is your, your action has to be raised off the. And you're meaning the, the strings, the basically. Strings, the, yeah, don't further, don't further give away all your body. secrets now. That really and heavy heavier strings, bigger frets kind of help. But I mean, just I see. those are the basics. So that help, yeah. So if I get out my Martin guitar and I put a slide on, and I'm like, wow, and if, it doesn't if it's do got anything, like real sweet low, buttery yeah. action, then yeah, that that's makes probably, it harder. Yeah. Okay, so mm-hmm. I'm setting myself up for disaster. Totally, but it's a blues song. I mean, <laughs> yeah, just see, like get one of those old silver tone guitars You're back with there. Disaster. I know. I've got I've got a similar yeah guitar just just you know so so about so tell me about the tuning because uh, for those of us who who don't know uh, what is the difference with the with the tuning can you explain that sure okay. um you just tune your good there's like a couple real common ones open D major and open G major are probably the two you know and a lot of classic rock people use those to, you know from Dwayne Allman to Keith Richards and Jimmy Page you know. Keith especially adopted the open G tuning and uh, made a f- five-string uh, guitar. But it's basically just tuning your guitar to an open chord, you know, mm-hmm. an open major chord. And that way, when you fret, you just need one finger or a slide to, to cover all the strings gotcha. on a, right. across a fret, and you've got a the whole chord, chord right? right? Mm-hmm. Which is actually, in theory, easier in a way than having to make shapes. You still do make shapes to make different chords. You know, you can figure out how to make. That's the fun part is when you get into thinking about how to make minor chords or how to make suspended chords and things like that to, you know, adapt to that tuning. Sure. Because they're basically major chords. Is that right? Right. Then but they're all major chords when you tune down the D and then slide like mm-hmm. that? Is It'll that right? be just an open D major chord. So every time you just bar a fret, oh. it's a whatever... That is major. Yeah. Now they there are minor tunings. Uh, Skip James is real popular for using the D minor or E minor open tuning. Though he play really pretty major sounding stuff on it, mostly. But it had a very he sang a really high pitched kind of weird voice, and the, you know the minor open tuning gave a weird kind of dissonance. It's definitely. Who is that? Skip James. Totally worth looking up. Hard Time Killing Floor Blues. That was a, yeah. probably a big popular song. Or uh... Speak, Speaking of, of, of uh, Jay here taking us to school. Because <laughs> it sounds like he may be qualified for this. Yeah, he's got uh, the... Yeah. Well, a, a couple points here. Uh, he, he is one of uh, a handful of instructors that we have here at Herzog Music. In fact, right after this interview, he's, he's heading downstairs for a lesson. Mm-hmm. And uh, in addition to that, uh, he and I have been working on something that uh, is coming up later this month, the Third Thursday Blues School with Jay Dorsey. Yes, sir. And uh, uh, at least for the next few months, we're going to try it out. And uh, I think the idea is that uh, Jay's going to be uh, picking out a, a blues classic that's been kind of done many times by different people uh, and, and sort of cover the history of that song. 
demonstrate some of the different ways to play it. Man, that's exciting. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so this is April seventeenth. Is that right? <clears throat> Uh, Thursday, April nineteenth. That's that's the uh, inaugural inaugural third Thursday. Thursday, April nineteenth, yes. the third Thursday Blues School here at uh, Herzog Music with Jay Dorsey. <laughs> so yes. wh- wh- who who's attending this? Who gets to come? Anybody can come. Anybody open can to come. the public. Open yeah. to free public and free. If you want to learn how to play slide or get your feet wet, yeah, this is the deal. It's going to be like a clinic. Anyone can come. Bring your guitar if you want. If you're able to make a donation to Herzog Studios, we highly encourage that. Highly encourage that. Um, but what I'm going to be doing for my first class is uh, covering the song "Dust My Broom," which was recorded in the 30s by Robert Johnson, and then in the 50s became a formula and a big hit for Elmore James when he adapted it to a more louder band format and created his own sort of idiosyncratic slide guitar formula out of what Robert Johnson was doing and basically wrote a bunch of songs that all kind of sounded real similar, the same way that sort of Johnny Cash or Hank Williams or someone like that would take a song and kind of make a bunch of songs out of it. But also that song, Dust My Broom, is like the classic, you know, triplet, you know, blues riff so i just want to give be able to give a little history on that riff and show people how to play it with a slide and in standard tuning um and be able to you know point to how that uh went on to inform the allman brothers and and clapton and and jimmy page and all those guys all the, the the from you know yeah and we'll we'll be doing it here uh the herzog studio site of cincinnati's first r&b session Bull Moose Jackson, which I'd covered in a previous episode, so it's always cool to uh, have that circ- uh, that that history come back and uh, sort of uh, revisit the history and and bring that to new new audience as well. So, but yeah, lots of stuff. And now I gather that even if you're not a guitar player, you you may still you're still going to come away with something. and You're still going to be entertained for sure, definitely. If you're a music enthusiast, you enjoy blues music, and you enjoy hearing about the history of, of, of where things came from and are, went and are going. Then yeah, you totally, you know. I, I think you would definitely be beneficial to come down here and hopefully learn a little something. Quality live blues for free. Yeah. Uh sounds pretty good. Yeah. Well uh ha- happy to have it and I think it's gonna be pretty cool. Jay's a phenomenal player and you're gonna pick up something. Uh real quick, is there anything that you you didn't mention that you wanted to mention or Oh, sure. Uh you know, I play every other Thursday. I'm sorry, every other Tuesday at the Woodburn Brewery, uh, doing more of a low-key blues kind of thing. And I also have a rock and roll band called the Jay Dorsey Band, which is uh, out and about all the time. We've uh, just been doing a little recording and uh, hope to have something new out for you here soon. But uh, so, yeah. And the Jay Dorsey Band played here for... Uh, our opening opening weekend. Yeah, our opening weekend. Sorry. And you guys were amazing. Thank you, man. I was really impressed. I hadn't. I've only seen you play by yourself. I'd never seen you play with a full band with Sky on the keys and oh, yeah. the whole thing going on. Oh yeah. Thank you. Yeah, it was really good. Well, we have a lot of fun. Yes, we should. We should hear a song or two. We should. Shouldn't we? Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, Josh, what, uh, what would you like to play for us here? Well, how about we uh, roll that? Uh, it's a mean old world we're all trying to live in. It's a song I learned by Reverend Pearlie Brown. All right. Well, thank you very much, Jay Dorsey. Lost right. on the river. Thanks, Jay. Goes a little something like. 
Muddy Waters' birthday today, April 4th, 2018. A little, I can't be satisfied for you right now. Thank you. Oh. 
Jay Dorsey performing Muddy Waters Can't Be Satisfied on Muddy Waters' birthday today. April that's what 4th. he said, yeah. He did say that. Yeah, that's how I knew. That was aggressive. <laughs> he told me. <laughs> that tune was aggressive. It was. With the way it started. Yeah. I mean, he was killing it. Dude can flat out play. He's yeah. coming back uh, to Herzog on April the 19th uh, for his blues school clinic. Free of charge. Open to the public. Come in. Yeah. They're... Learn how to play the, the slide guitar. And if nothing else, just be entertained by some great live blues music. Yeah. Free third, of charge here in the historic Herzog music space. That's right. Third third Thursday of every month. That's very cool. Hard to find a guy in Cincinnati that knows blues and slide like Jay. So Absolutely. He's been living it for 20 years. And now we're going to make it a little turn, a little left turn here from the from the blues world and introduce our next guest, DJ DQ, Dan Hargraves. Welcome to Lost on the River, Dan. Thanks, Thanks. for joining us. Thanks. Thanks for finding me here. So I'm going to give this to you, Elias. This is, this is, this is, you're taking the lead on this one I because. Don't, why? I don't know. Because you've, you're intimately involved with this. And oh, Dan. Oh, it's yes. a great project and, and, and it's something that uh, I'm just kind of learning about myself and I'm excited about it. Yeah. Well, so uh, Dan. Why is Dan here, Elias, is what I'm asking you. <laughs> so Dan is uh, a turntablist and he's a fantastic musician and um, I was, I, Grabbed one of uh, he had he has an album and uh, was released originally fifteen years ago. Is that right? Two thousand two. Mm-hmm. So yeah. sixteen years yeah. ago. Wow. Yeah, we got to redo all of our press. Oh boy. <laughs> oh boy. Fifteen years. <laughs> so anyway, I I was I I got this uh, at that point. It was on CD, and I got the CD and I I left town. I moved to none other than Asheville, North Carolina, which you and I already <laughs> know. So um, I had. I grabbed this album on my way out of the studio. So I had been in the Animal Crackers studio, which is a group of uh, DJs and turntablists that Dan um, 
plays with or it's kind of a collective and um so i grabbed the cd and i moved out of town and it kind of became anthemic for me in terms of like my connection to cincinnati and i worked in a bar and i played it a lot for people and everybody loved it it's 28 minutes of fantastic music it kind of it's a kind of a i don't want to use the word mashup because i feel like that's lower it's less than it is it's better than that it's not just like a live mashup it's extremely calculated and there's conversations and music and it kind of goes through lots of different genres of music so there'll be like bluegrass and jazz and opera and spaghetti western music it's just all of this sort of um, mixed up music over scratches and turntablism and beats and then along with that there's these little snippets of um, like vocal speech narrative speech that's in that's intertwined throughout the album um, and it's it's sort of a fairy tale it feels like a uh, uh, like a little story that's being yeah. told. Is and, there a theme? Uh, I don't. I don't. Well, we, we should let Dan talk. Yeah. No. <laughs> why? Why am I here? I know. So. <laughs> you're, you're my perfect surrogate. Well, uh, is that right? <laughs> that's yeah. That's pretty accurate. It. Uh, I don't know. I kind of think of it as on Maslow's hierarchy of self-deprecation, where I had a collection of records that I had no idea what I was going to do with them. So I never thought that I would make something of a semblance that would be called an album, much less than produce mass uh, qualities, quantities and distribute it and then have people actually listen to it. So to have you come back and that's what you received from it is – that's what it was. I had no intention when I set out – to do it, I recorded it a little bit of a, at a time. I lived in a studio apartment on in Walnut Hills, in this dump that had no furniture. So I long sat. before Walnut Hills was cool. Uh, yeah, this was pre <laughs> hashtag We Are Walnut Hills. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was pre hashtag, my friend. Pre hashtag period. <laughs> so. Um, so yeah, and I just sat on the floor after I, I was working the custodial shift at the Crone Conservatory. So I'd come home after I swept up the jungle and just sat on the floor and with this pile of records, like, what am I going to do tonight? I just bought this uh, 12-track recorder or 16-track recorder. What What's going to happen? I go and play it for my friends and they're like, what the hell is this? Who is this for? Like, what are you, what are you doing? What, it's, what, for, it's for posterity. What's, what's the meaning of this? Like, who do you want to listen to this? I don't get it. And then when it was finished, which I didn't know it was finished until I guess I moved out of that apartment and I started living in my car because I traveled east. And I thought this would be a good place to end this because I can't record it anymore. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, and it just it was just one of those moments in time where if you handed me the same pile of records today there's no way i could reproduce it um and i'm i'm so grateful to eli and herzog for for seeing something in it and and giving this thing a, a fresh breath of life because it it was forgotten i played it for my kids and that was the first time I listened to it uh, about a couple of months ago. That's the first time I listened to it in, in a decade. What do they think? And they they were frightened of it. <laughs> it's a little. Sc- I mean, it's it's a little. It's daunting. Scary. It, 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 it's a little emotionally. It, it, it I. It, I was a little pretentious 
in a pretentious stage of my life insofar as crafting this narrative behind it that was supposed to be this, you know, 28-minute divulge into, like, this birth of a person and their experiences, like, discovering. Was, I'm not even going to get into it because it sounds ridiculous. But that, that was the original intention, and I played it for my kids, and they s- slowly came around to it and thought, this is really cool this is really like a graphic novel without the pictures and they really got into kind of the soundscape aspect of it it's they, well, that's very and how old are they seven and four really <laughs> yeah. i mean that's it's very, for the family it's for the kids too. but that's very cool that they they actually can can see they that could, they could connect the, and that's what i like about what eli said and that's what i like about what my kids said because you know everyone that's heard it has kind of taken it and, and made it their own thing and, and had their own experience with it or it, not saying it's some ethereal, like, Oh, it changed my soul and my spirit and my life. It's just like, it just came in to s- some people's lives at certain points and they thought like, wow, I really enjoyed that. Um, you know, it was a nice way to, to get away with from whatever I was dealing with, or it was a nice, like it was the perfect time where I was so sick of every kind of music I was listening to. It was so different, so it was just it meant something different to everyone that heard it, which is really cool too. So, so I can, can you? I, want, I really want to hear the process behind this and, and how it all came together. You said you were sitting on your living room floor and you've got this great record collection and you're just kind of throwing things together. You got a you got a new uh, sixteen track recorder or used, maybe it was new to you, and and. <laughs> How did this all? How did it all come together? I had been traveling, kind of the eastern seaboard, northeast uh, through New York and up to Chicago, over the course of about six months, uh, in between recording music with my other group called Glue, which was an MC from New Hampshire, which brought me up the eastern seaboard and a producer named Maker from Chicago. So we were kind of on hiatus, and I was driving all by myself. This is when I referenced, like, uh, part of the time I was living in my car. I, I mean, it was just, I was out there. I didn't have a, a mailing address. And I would stop in wherever I was, spending the night, uh, and just kind of ask around, like, where's the music store? Uh, or where's the thrift store? Um, and go check out, and I would just collect these records uh, for no other reason than like, wow, that's a really cool cover. Um, I, had, I had no ability to listen to what was on it. Um, I didn't know labels. I wasn't going off of, oh, this was produced by, you know, some cousin of Alan Toussaint, or it didn't matter. It was just, like, it looked like a cool record. And so I had amassed this, uh, I don't know, 50 or 60 a deep collection of records that I, th- I thought, well, someday I'm going to sit down and do something with this. Or I heard this one s- sample or one snippet on this that I think would really sound cool with some drums behind it. Or these two records would sound really interesting together. And so it was, it started out as just an experiment of sitting down and doing that. Um, I had one turntable and a mixer and the and the multi-track recorder and i just would sit down and put the things together and 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 whatever i was hearing in my head i could really make tangible and and transpire into a recording and that's kind of how it was 
birthed. And I just kept doing that and putting it all together instead of one track at a time. I would put them back to back. And, and 20, 28 minutes later, it was the album. So, And who, who were your influences in terms of production? I mean, what, what was your inspiration? Um... I had a pretty prototypical like identity crisis in high school as far as white Catholic high school kid who liked rap music in the late 80s, early 90s. Um, so as far as production, like Bomb Squad stuff sure. with public... But, do you, but, but yeah, the reason I ask that is because we're probably roughly the same age, and I know what the Bomb Squad is now, but I didn't know who the Bomb Squad was then. Yeah. You know, and so because back then I don't feel like you know we listened to hip hop, we listened to that that all that great stuff in the eighties and, and and Public Enemy, but there wasn't this awareness of 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 the production and producers that were behind it. It just kind of happened, and you know even to a point where people take talk about sampling and and say, oh, that's not music. And 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 now we look back on this and we can look back and really appreciate the work that they were doing. But were you aware of that then? I. Uh... I've always been more of an aesthetic kind of guy to mm-hmm. for music rather than like, oh, these lyrics are so, they just touched me. Um, I'd never been a, like a word guy. I, it was always about the music. And that's what drew me to hip hop when I was uh, like four years old. It's like the drum beat was so hypnotic and contagious. And that's something that always registered with me. And I mentioned Public Enemy because they had such like a wall of sound, especially with those first three albums, uh, and particularly, specifically with like Fear of a Black Planet. And just I remember hearing the Terminator X track, the beginning of the album. Yeah. I was like, wow, this is exactly if I ever had turntables, this this is what it would sound like. So I was, yeah, I think I was more aware than the average bear as far as what was going into it. I didn't see it, though, because there was no YouTube. There was right. no how-to. There was not even, like, a textbook or, or there was no reference manual. There was nothing. And so as far as, like, developing my own s- skill set, it was something that I had to go by ear on. And, and I would just think, like, well, this sounds like what they're doing. This must be the way to do it. And I just, And that's kind of how I created my own niche and my own technique and approach to doing things was was trying to to mimic what i could only hear but not see so um i i owe that to a lot of like as far as djs like dj Premier was is amazing um not because he's of his technical prowess but because of the opposite like the way he fills pockets and just his the way he he produces his own beats, so it's naturally he would be adept at, at scratching the best over his own beats. But um, it, I don't know. So it was just a, a culmination of that experience in adolescence with developing my own soundscape based on what I thought was the right way to do it, and that's how that's what happened. And it came together. Well, let's let's see. I'd love to hear a, a, a piece here from this. Uh, from this record that's being it, it's it's just been re-released on vinyl it's available here at Herzog Music it's Her- where, mm-hmm. yeah, where, the, where the sidewalk begins originally recorded in 2002 DJ DQ and 
already uh, generating a lot of buzz. There was a write-up in City Beat recently by Mike Breen about it that was very cool. And I can't wait to get my hands on the whole thing, but would love to hear uh, a little piece of that right now. Yeah. So is there, is, there, is there a piece of this that, you'd, that you're especially excited about that you'd like to play for us and tell us about? Um, I think the very first part, the introduction, is, uh, is a good place to start an album. <laughs> that, that does make a lot of sense. No, it's. I think it's. I think it's kind of a good because it's not something you can say. Oh, like track three is pretty cool because there's not really a track three, um, and it's. I don't think it's something you can really jump into the middle of. Uh, number so, one. Number one is good. Number one is good. Yeah. So it, what you're saying is you really it's 28 need to, minutes. You, long. you really need to listen to the entire thing. <laughs> yeah. I think so. So if you're going to play just a segment, we need to. Start yeah, at the beginning. I think we'll start at the beginning. All right. It was a warm, pleasant day, and I was enjoying the sunlight. But my enjoyment didn't last long. I still break out. I break out. I break out. The next thing I knew, I heard a, a whirring noise like a hundred windmills. Abruptly, the sound ceased. Suddenly, the desolation, the solitude became unendurable. Now, suddenly, there was a change, the passing of something, and all that remained was this gaunt quiet. It's Lost on the River. We're here with DJ DQ, uh, and we just heard this first segment of Where the Sidewalk Begins being re-released, or has just recently been re-released here at Herzog Music on vinyl, originally recorded in 2002. Very cool stuff. Dan, thank you so much for sharing that with us. And uh, uh, as Bill said earlier, before he went to pay his meter, we're going to do a special release on this for Record Store Day on April 21st. Is that yep, right? Yep, that's right. And DJ DQ will be here. I will. It's a listening party. <laughs> Excellent. We'll have food, drinks, great music. So what are you doing these days? You still making music? You still... No. That's no. what's funny about all this is my life has nothing to do with music right now. Um, I am actually a work and research at the University of Cincinnati in the College of Medicine. Oh, wow. Um, so I, it couldn't be farther from... Turns out he's smart, <laughs> too. <laughs> Besides creative. Uh-huh. Um, so another reason that I'm, I am forever grateful to, to Eli for even having the, the gumption to suggest something so ridiculous as to put this on vinyl because this is just, I think, one of maybe, hmm, we'll see what the kids do, but maybe one of my final kind of stamps on, mm -hmm. on, on my music uh, career. So this is a great benchmark, if nothing else. So I, I'm eternally grateful for, for to, to Herzog and Eli for, for kind of providing me selfishly with that. We're super excited to do it, man. You deserve it. It's a it's phenomenal piece of music. I couldn't be more passionate about it, honestly. Like it's really good. It deserves to be on great 180 gram vinyl and ready for people to listen to. Like 
should it, should be out there. It sounds fantastic. If it does. I do say so myself. It, sound, it, it sounds it's amazing. It's so rich and so it sounds so delicious. Nice. <laughs> so how do we get to there? How do we? How do you get from from what we had here and you had some sort of. I mean, I know this was recorded in 2002. You had the digital master for it, and how did we get it to, to vinyl? Actually, did you have all of the digital masters? I had not, I had a disc that actually Toby engineered the original compact disc version in 2002. And I had, after trudging through uh, my basement, um... I found that copy handed to me. It was not multi-track. It was not anything uh, special. It was by far from ideal <laughs> from what you are supposed to have hand to an engineer to remaster. So that's that speaks volumes to Toby's skill and talent level um, because he really uh, extracted some, some pretty amazing magic from what he had to work with. So he gave me... Uh, two left and right stereo wave digital files from that that QCA requested. Um, and so we just mail it to them and they have, I don't know what they do at their place in Cincinnati. I don't know if it's magic. Outsource. I believe they have, magic. Yeah. they have a was, guy too. Was that Brian Delcision? Yes. That okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. And 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 he he was involved with the seven inch that we released out of here. We recorded uh, an opening day a few years back uh, of the All Seeing Eyes. That was also on QCA. So, yeah. Okay. It's the only time he's ever uh, commented on any of my Facebook posts. Yeah. So he must have done, had yeah, a yeah, pretty yeah. heavy hand. Excellent. Yeah. In the process. Good so, stuff. Um, yeah. And then they had some six year old woman. Wheel it out on a 300 copies on a cart from a garage door. That's so awesome. <laughs> That's so awesome. Seriously. Uh, just visiting QCA. It feels like history there. Just walking into the office. I just saw the administrative part of what they do, and the ceiling is like gold bars, and it just, they have this wall of stable of artists that they've, uh, they've pr- produced materials for. Yeah. And it's just so, it's the way you would think it should have, it should be done and how it's always been done. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you better call to stay on top of your project because they'll get to it when they can. It's not, <laughs> it's not, it, they don't send you email updates. There's no app for their, for their operation. You, you call them on the phone and you say, hey, how are things going? Because you told me it'd be ready now. And they're like, oh yeah. Let me check into that. Let me get called down to the floor. Get yeah. back to you. So as an example, Edward Boskin, he founded QCA in the early 1950s. And when I called and emailed, it was like his son. It, it's a Boskin. Excellent. Whoever it is that you, you deal with there. So it's like you're dealing with the <laughs> I original. had no idea they've been around that long. Yeah, it's super cool. And it's, it's so unassuming. It's on Spring Grove Avenue in this industrial park yeah. part of town. So it's you would have no idea that something so uh, integral to so many lives would be kind of buried there. So anyway. April 21st. April 21st, Record Store Day. We'll do the official release for the vinyl edition. Yeah. Of, uh, and you can buy this album online right begins. now, too. That's something. So if you want to... 
preview some of the album um, or if you want to listen to anything else that I've been involved with uh, with my other group Glue even my wife's rock and roll albums on there it's on my website high and low yes which was a which yes. was a Brian Olive produced Brian Olive is oh well, Great band. Um, <laughs> he's a good-looking guy. He's super talented. He's he's been involved. In, he's just a, a, an icon of of Cincinnati music. Um, so it's, it's the website is djdq dot space. Um, and you can, you can yeah. I didn't that dot com wasn't available. I've never heard of dot. <laughs> I didn't know space dot space was a thing. <laughs> well, now this you, is a now new, this is. is a new galaxy. Aaron's gonna in, go home in, and in, register. In Aaron Sharp dot space. <laughs> exactly. Well, thank you so New much, Frontier. Dan. We really appreciate you being here and thank sharing this with us, and can't wait to uh, see you again on the twenty first for Record Store Day and get to hear this thing in its entirety. Where the sidewalk begins uh, now available at Herzog Music. Is it anywhere else in town? Shake it. Shake It Records as well. Shake It, Shake has it copies. Records has currently, I think, two copies. Oh, they're selling fast. Oh, all right. Well, we, we, we can we, we can get them some more. We probably got two hundred and fifty uh, left. We have, okay, we have a few. So we're selling them out pretty quick on honestly. Earth. Yeah, in, in the whole universe. There's that's it. All right. Then it's gone again. Then it's gone again for another fifteen years. <laughs> well, that siren means it's time to wrap. It. Oh yeah, the old <laughs> siren. <laughs> Thanks for joining us, Dan, on Lost on the River. Thank you. Thank you. And big thanks once again to our sponsors, the Thunderdome Restaurant Group, bringing you favorites like the Eagle, Maplewood Kitchen and Bar, Kruger's, and Bakersfield. Also, thanks to Otto's in Covington and, of course, Eli's Barbecue, the Cincinnati USA Music Heritage Foundation, and thanks to Clint Stevenson, our engineer, Matt Spalding, our producer, and, of course, opening music, closing music by our good friends, All Seeing Eyes. You've been Lost on the River here on Herzog Music.